Welcome to the Humble Hoof Podcast. My name is Alicia Harlov. This is a podcast for both horse owners and hoof care professionals, offering discussions into various philosophies on the health of the hoof and soundness of your horse. Please check us out on Facebook or at thehumblehoof.com. My name is Kirsten Proctor. I'm from Charlton, New York. It's out near Saratoga. Um, and I do enjoy rehabilitation. I love the vet referrals and seeing the horses recover. I do a lot of sport horses as well um, that compete barefoot and with blue-on protection during the heavy season. But my real passion is foals. Um, I love to trim foals and young horses and help them develop a good foot to grow with. So my name is Henrik Larsson. I'm from Sweden, and I'm currently a part-time uh, barefoot trimmer. I graduated uh, about two years ago from School of Bear Hoof Strategy in Norway. That's run by Dan Guerrera. Uh, my name is Bethlyn Lewis. I am the owner of Equibalance Farrier Services. I'm based out of New England, specifically uh, New Hampshire, um, and I'm close to the Maine and Massachusetts border, so I kind of hang around the seacoast area. I am a full-service hoof care provider, so I can uh, shoe horses uh, along with doing lots of glue-on work and composites and synthetic shoeing, uh, along with uh, I focus a lot on barefoot and um, have a pretty good skill set with understanding uh, the needs of a barefoot horse alongside the needs of a horse that might need a little bit of extra support for a rehab type uh, setting. So I kind of do a little bit of everything uh, and just focus on the needs of the horse. My name is Christy Rogers. Um, I live in Charleston, South Carolina, and I am a professional natural barefoot hoof trimmer. So this was probably the hardest episode editing-wise to make sure all these amazing tips were put together in a cohesive way. I'm going to try not to talk a lot, but I'll be in and out as we transition from one topic to another. This episode was a little selfish on my part because I loved having some real talk with other hoof care providers about the hardships of our job and how to improve on the business end of things. I had so many people willing to contribute, and honestly, this episode could have been hours long if I got everybody on the phone. So thank you for everybody who was willing to say something. Do you have any advice for someone who's just starting out in this business? Uh, yeah, because I've had to learn a lot of things the hard way um, just based on my own inexperience. And I think that just comes from uh, when you're fresh out of a school or a program or an apprenticeship or whatever your path of your foundation of education, you get, you get out there, you're gung-ho to make all these great things happen and change and you look at a foot and you're like yeah I'm gonna do you know what I learned in school to do and sometimes you may misjudge or misread the foot or you think back and went oh my gosh I never watched that horse walk I couldn't tell you if he was lame or sound before I even picked a foot up because sometimes that happens after you work on a horse someone messages you back and go hey my horse is sore what do I do and I thought you know you think to yourself were they sore before does the client know if they were lame before you know um so 
taking your your time and not skipping over the basics, you can learn so much from what you're going to do to a, the bottom of the foot by watching a horse just move and walk and do some circles with them. So all, all of my new clients are horses I'm not familiar with or if it's in a rehab setting. I want to see how they go because that right there, if they're not moving a certain way or if their foot falls not right, their toe first landing, I want my clients to know what a good landing and a bad landing looks like. My favorite saying is every hoof, every time. That is what I have on my Facebook site. And if I feel myself drifting, you know, temporarily, like if I start losing focus on a foot, I just chant my mantra in my head and I refocus. You know, every hoof is going to have its own little its own little quirks and um, everything's got to be handled differently. So you, you have to be able to look at that foot and say, okay, this foot is an individual. How are we going to treat it so that it's its individual self and not continue to have pathology? We want to undo pathology. We need to, to make it so that the horse is functional. And so, you know, if you've got the one foot and um, you're trying to make it match the others, you're doing a disservice to, your, to the horse because that's not the way the horse functions. The horse functions on four different feet. And if you try to create this sameness within the horse, you're going to end up with a with a um, with a disaster because the feet are not the same. In fact, I don't ever remember really seeing a horse that has all four feet the same. Um, it every foot is an individual, every hoof, every time, and you just you have to be able to recognize the the tiny little details. Take those. And then you have to take, of course, the seasons and, you know, the amount of grass they're getting and, and the amount of food they're getting and, and take all that into consideration, how much they're getting ridden, how much they're getting exercise and how much they're, how long they're standing around a round bale. You take all that into consideration and then go to that hoof and say, okay, what have we got here? And I just feel like that's so important because, you know, the every hoof, every time, is is a huge focal point but it's got so many things behind it every hoof every time where's the horse standing what is the horse's job you know what is the owner willing to do what is the owner's um goal with this horse you know um how comfortable is this horse when he walks out before and after the trim i mean it's just i i, I maybe i get too serious about it but i'm i'm pretty particular and and a little fierce about the whole thing and i think that's what makes all the hoof trimmers the good people we are because i think we're more focused on the horse foot than we are our own egos and i think a lot of owners that i've talked to maybe don't even understand that full scope that you're talking about, like how many factors we think about when we approach a horse right. and right. You know, everyone thinks, Oh, how hard can it be? You just have a pair of nippers or a rasp and you just, you know, take off the foot, like the excess <laughs> stuff and then you walk away. And, or, you yeah, know, know, or, you know, when some people I've, you know, I luckily I'm in an area where, where there's plenty of horses and people understand the cost of things, but I hear people complaining in other areas about, you know, oh, my farrier charges $45 for a trim, you know, what are they yeah. getting paid for? And it's like, well, there's so much education, really, that 
we have to know to do this, you know? <laughs> yes. I mean, and it's constant, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like you can never stop learning and there's always going to be a horse that's not going to fit into what you assumed. You know? Correct. <laughs> Absolutely. It's true. You know, and one's going to be this crazy clubby foot with another one that's flat and you're going, what on earth is going on here that you, that you, you know, inherit or whatever from somebody else or something. In the beginning, you do feel like you can fix them all. If that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Um, and it lets you know that you're not God right like there's a lot of pieces to the puzzle and sometimes everything is perfectly aligned and things are not going in the right direction and then there's other times where you get called into an acute founder case on some obese morgan who lives on a pasture with friggin apple trees and just with a trimming change you're able to help that horse recover and it shouldn't happen yeah so it's very frustrating when, when you have those cases where all your T's are crossed and your I's are dotted and things still aren't working. I feel you. I've been there. I've been there. It's hard. A huge consideration in our line of work is safety. And without even directly asking about it, each of the people I interviewed mentioned it. How can we pay attention to the horse? How can we keep them comfortable and keep ourselves safe? It was really difficult when I started my own style, because that's the thing, as you get going, you're going to develop your own style. In the beginning, you'll try to emulate the person you're learning from, but once you get a little more comfortable, you're going to find what works best for your body. Um, You know, I started off working with horses between my knees, like a traditional farrier. It didn't really work for me. I didn't feel safe. Um... I'll still occasionally do it. There's a few horses out there that that's what they prefer. And I think that's a big thing too, listening to the horse and where they want their foot to be held to be worked on. I get a lot of referrals for difficult horses that really actually aren't that difficult. Once you listen to them, um, if you try to hold their foot out or too high, they're uncomfortable. Sometimes it's physical. Sometimes I think it's a little bit mental. Um, they're just not comfortable emotionally with giving you that foot in such a larger range of motion, if that makes any sense. So listening to the horse is, is huge, um, is huge. Um, so some of the things I do with the horses is um, if I have a horse that won't stand still, if it's trying to kick out at me, I will not trim it. Yeah. Um, it's not worth it. Um, if I go down, it's, um, I was a police officer and they always told me there's nothing that you can do if you're dead mm-hmm. there, you know, a dead cop is no good to anybody. And so a broken trimmer is no good to any horse. And so if I, you know, if that horse needs to be sent for training, that's fine. I'm not there to necessarily train the horse, um, if the horse is having trouble with the back legs, sometimes I'll try to draw the foot forward instead of kinking it back because there might be like a little bit of, um, of ring, bone, ring bone going on in there that hurts. Yeah. And, yep, yeah, uh, there might be some, you know, um, 
might be some sores around the coronary band or, you know, anything like that can cause pain, um, stifle, anything like that. If the horse is dancing around, I will try. I've got one just today in Beaufort, and he does not like his feet pulled back. So I pull him forward and sit him, you know, I feel around under the foot. It's not the best way to do it, but it's something. Again, right. we're looking for, right, we're looking for function. And sometimes you can look back under the hoof to make sure the, the heels are where they're supposed to be. And every, I have never had an owner say you didn't do a, the right job because they know that this horse is trying to kick my head off because it's probably very uncomfortable, you know? Yeah. But, um, yeah, but I try to do that. I use lots of lavender every time I use, um, raspberry leaves so and that seems it? to work. Do they yes, eat? they yeah. eat it. 90% of the horses will eat the raspberry leaves. And then there's some that are just like, this is not what I signed up for. <sighs> but, um, but lavender's really good. It usually lasts for about three feet and then you got to re redrop them. Um, and I always have a tendency to start on the off side, which is the horse's left yeah. because I'm right-handed. Yeah. yeah. So I try to start there because I'm right-handed, and once I get around to the the um, right front, I'm in. I'm in. I can control that foot better, if yeah. that makes any sense. Is there a way that you sort of determine if the horse is struggling because of what you think might be pain, or if you think it's behavioral? That's a great question. Um, two horses come to mind that I absolutely refuse to do. Um, one had never even been tied before and I just told him there's just no way. And it was, it was a horse that was, that was out there that was with a bunch of others. And, and I had already finished everybody else. And they said, can you try to do this one? But it was just frantic. Uh, I told the guy, I said, there's no way I can get close to this horse. Forget it. Get a trainer. Um, the other one, um, was a mare that a guy called on and the mare had a sore foot and she would kind of let me touch the front ones but not the back ones but she was terrified and I told the guy I am not going to make this a fight because I'll tell every owner I do not fight I will not fight your horse um, if even if I were 24 years old I would not fight this horse but if a horse has shivers or has EPM um, I have to be super careful because they don't know where those feet are and yeah. those legs will come flying. Yeah. Those legs will come flying right out at you. And, um, and you will, you can get really hurt. Um, uh, you know, but I will tell you this, the times I have got hurt the worst have been the least, uh, wild horse, one old girl knocked me twice in the head, getting a fly off her stomach. Oh no! And it about knocked me just about knocked me out. I think it was the funniest thing. I kept my head there. She did it again. I said, "Well, I deserve the second oh, one." Oh my goodness! I know. And then um, I got hit in the eye by a twenty-six hundred pound Belgian because he was getting a fly, and black my eye and blew up the left side of my face and um and I was like well that was stupid what was I doing what was my face doing there you know oh, and it was goodness. just the horse was just being a horse you know I've had cracked teeth and you know blood uh, 
you know, bloody mouth and, you know, black eyes. And I'm just like, all these are from, from gentle horses, the horses that, you know, I'm so on when I'm working with a crazy horse that I kind of don't get hurt when I'm around them because I'm so alert. But yeah, I will take a break. If I can't get the horse done, we tried a horse the other day. It was a 2,600 pound Belgian, another one. And, um, he did not want me to touch one of his back feet. And I said, let's forget it. I'm just going to come back tomorrow. And I happened to be coming back tomorrow anyway. And I would have come back anyway. And the horse fell asleep the second day. Oh, wow. Um, so what was the difference? Yeah. It, what was different was that he was not surrounded by a lot of people. Um, we took him to a place that was isolated. And, um, and I, I, I will tell you this. I absolutely will not trim a horse as long as a person is on the phone or a person is having a conversation and not paying attention. I can't stand that. That's so disrespectful to me. And um, I'm not rude about it, but I'll just stop and smile at the person. I'll, I'll start back when you're, when you're ready. That kind of a thing. Yeah. You know, that kind of a thing that I'm, you know, I, I can't risk that. Yeah, I do. You know, I used to train horses, so I will take on some of those horses and charge extra to work with them. Um, you know, and sometimes I don't even get a foot trimmed for the first couple appointments, depending on the difficulty of the horse. But I also have a local trainer that I really respect and love the way that he works with his horses. So I tend to refer them to him because I don't really have the time to do it. Um, and sometimes we'll even request that he come hold the horse while I trim it. And if they're not comfortable with that, I just have a plate conversation that I don't feel comfortable, uh, you know, working on the horse then. And there's a ton of people in my area and I'm more than happy to give them, you know, a list of numbers to choose from and that, that they probably will find someone better suited to them. But. It's not. Unfortunately, that's what we all had to do. I feel like <laughs> to start, right? You yeah. got to get, you got to get some miles under your belt. Um, I feel like, you know, you, you have enough confidence that you're, you're ready to start saying no to them and, and yes to the right ones. And I'll tell you, I don't know how it happened, but I feel like it exploded overnight and I was able to just start letting those clients go. Um, and I'll be honest, when I got when I got more firm, as Pete says, you know, I had one foot on the gas pedal. Yeah. He, they started listening more. So I don't know if I was being a little bit of a pushover when I was saying the things that I needed from them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Once once I got that confidence, and I was like, well, I don't I don't need to be here and risk myself if you're not going to do your part to help me. Suddenly, I was getting more help. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, that's really cool. So I, yeah, it's kind of weird. It's almost like, well, you'll just put up with it. You're the barrier, you know, like horses dance on you. That's what happens. Yeah. So, so that definitely helps. As hoof care providers, we don't just work with clients, but we also have to navigate working with colleagues, other farriers and trimmers, as well as vets. One of my biggest goals is to make sure these professionals know I value them and look at them as someone I can learn from and work with. Like if I have a case where there's going to, where I've requested radiographs or the owner's going to do radiographs, I ask if they can let me know when the appointment is so that I can be there. In the beginning, I did it to try to establish 
a relationship with local vets. Now it's because I'm a little more particular about what I'm looking for and what I want to see in the x-ray. And sometimes they, what they send me isn't what I wanted, if that makes sense. Yeah. But it definitely let, gives you a better working relationship with local vets who can be the first to say, and I'm not knocking them. They're very, you know, it's what they were taught. Be the first to say, you know, the source needs shoes and pads or a wedge or, you know, and if you're there to talk to them and you have a, and you can have a discussion with them, which I've actually found a lot of them to be pretty open. They're, they're pretty open and they'll have those conversations with you. And a lot of times, then be on your side so the owner doesn't feel torn in the middle. Yeah. And once they start seeing results, they're like, oh, there, there is a different way. And I feel like we're slowly making that happen. I never, I feel like that's why I've gotten a lot of positive responses from local vets because I don't come at it like, well, you're wrong, you know, because that's what some people do. I go to, you know, we have some local vet clinics that have farriers meetings and stuff. I go just to kind of make those connections and show people that, like, I'm not closed-minded. And that helps. That helps a lot, especially when you're new, so that the local farriers that have, you know, the old-time journeymen that have been around forever don't feel like you're coming in and trying to tell people how things need to be done and you're wrong. I've got a posse of girls from all over the world that I can bounce things off of. If I'm stumped, I have to get over myself, which I don't, that's not very hard to do, by the way. <laughs> you know, I don't have any pride and I don't have any ego at all. I mean, it's like, here's a horse, we've got a problem, let's fix it. And these, these girls are the same exact way and I can throw something out there and they can throw me back 10 or 15 suggestions and it's just, it's the horse is the focus, not the person and not the person's qualifications. It's let's fix this. What have y'all seen, you know, in this situation? If my scheduling or if I can't meet the needs of my clients, then I have no problem saying, you know what, you might need to find somebody else that can meet your needs better than me because I can't do it right now. So I've passed on and I've got a list of other farriers that I can refer to and they go, oh, thanks, that was a really great fit because that person is closer to me than you are or whatever the, the aspect is. So I've gotten myself in a really good aspect of my business where I've got great clients, I've got great horses, and there's an ease to my day because I have a lot of perfect clients. Kirsten already mentioned developing our own style. This applies to which tools work best for us as well, and the way we actually handle the horse as we trim. Yes. When I started out, I used the tools and brands that the person I started working under used. Um, those did not end up being my favorite and what I found easiest and most ergonomic for me and my body size. So I guess that would be my biggest tip would be to find the tools that you're comfortable with. Um, I'm little. I'm 5'2". I got little hands. So that affects me and what size and style nippers and knives that I like to use, um, as well as apron fit. Uh, but don't cheap out. 
I know we have a tendency to do that, I think, especially when you're starting and you're trying to be economical and start things going on the side. You cannot make up for good tools. And how, because, um, you know, you say you're, you're doing like 10 to 15 a day. I think my, my days are usually eight or less right now, and I, I still feel it in my back. Like, how, how do you, you know... How do you have your body hold um, up? <laughs> well, I don't, I gotta be honest. I, I think that I'm lucky because I am short. I'm five, two, I'm like half legs, half upper body. <laughs> so I just naturally have a little squat down under the horse. That's like the right spot for them. You know what I mean? So yeah. the biggest thing there, I guess is body posture. Like don't just bend over and use your back you got to bend your knees a little and let your thighs take a lot of that pressure. Um, don't just use your back. <laughs> yeah. That's the, and I guess too, the fact that I don't argue with a horse because a, I know they're stronger and I can't do it. And that's why I learned to find the body position that they want me to hold them in. Some of the horses are like literally right to the ground. Other ones might be higher than I normally do, but wherever if you can find their comfort zone, it's easier on your body, right. you know. Um, could I do, you know, 10 or 12 in a day that are yanking me around? No, I'm sure that I couldn't. I can do a couple a day like that and not feel it, but I just, I think I'm pretty lucky that way. Um, however, I am turning 40 this year, and... I have started doing some yoga and kickboxing classes and things like that to kind of get me more fit than I need to be and work on my flexibility. I did have a shoulder, a minor shoulder injury last year that was a little tough to work through. Um, I don't really know how it happened because it wasn't a specific incident, but I did notice when I was trying to work on it that I had like zero flexibility. Oh, yeah, and that's probably because I stay squatted down in that position all day, like with your muscles tight, right? Yeah. So I have found the past few months, like I thought my job was easy before, but since I started stretching and doing those kinds of things, it's really easy now. So I definitely take care of yourself in that aspect. I think when you're younger, you don't think of it because you just work through everything. And as you get older, those little muscle pulls and stuff do bother you. Um, I actually just started, unless it's a really big farm and I don't want to come back twice, I'm limiting myself to 10 a day because I feel like that's, I can do 10 every single day and never feel it. If I do 15 one day, the next day I wake up, I don't, I'm not sore, I'm not hurt, but I'm tight. You know what I mean? Yeah. So... Everybody will probably have a different comfort zone. And you're probably, when you say you have clients like that won't stay on a trim schedule, all those things make a difference. When I'm doing a lot of horses in a day, it's not 15 setup trims. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I'd say probably 10 of those didn't see a nipper. I'm definitely not like the iron man that it sounds like when I say I do that many it's because I have clients who want to be on a shorter schedule and keep their horses in a better position 
they understand that if I have to get my nippers out, that it's been way too long. Yeah. That's hard sell. That's a hard sell because people think they're paying you so much money and you're just there to, you know, use your wrath for a minute. And they think that they're not getting their money's worth. We know scheduling and factoring in travel is huge in our line of work. Sometimes I drive hours a day. So I wanted to hear what people do for schedule tips and travel areas. You know, if I have somebody that says, like, I go to confirm their, their appointment for tomorrow and they go, hey, Beth, their feet still look really good. I don't think I need you to come out. Why don't you come back in a couple of weeks? So I'm like, I'm booked in yeah. a couple of weeks. So either your horses are going to miss a whole cycle and I'll come back in six weeks, which is the middle to end of July. And I said, that's not very healthy. I said, but the thing is, your horse's feet shouldn't look bad when they're due. And knowing your horse's growth patterns and how they wear their feet, we know that they probably are due right now. And sometimes it might just be there's a financial aspect to it. So they're like, they'll use that excuse of their feet still look great, Beth. Great job on their feet. I don't need you right now. But the underlining issue is they just maybe not don't have the money. Maybe they had an unexpected bill come up or car troubles or, you know, whatever the issue is. So sometimes I'll remind them like, oh, hey, by the way, I do take credit cards and I can send you an invoice if that helps you. That's my way of saying, look, if you need a couple days to pay in your bill and your horse's feet and hoof health is important to me and you, let's get them done and we'll come to arrangements later. And most times people go, oh, my God, that'd be amazing. Can you bill me on Friday when I get paid? Boom. The horses get their feet done. I, I can wait two days on getting their money. And, I, you know, I have stipulations to that, like, hey, if you don't pay by the time that we agree upon or whatever, I'll, you know, you'll hit a late charge or, or whatever, something like that. But most times there's might be a reason. So being able to read my clients, too, and say, this isn't normally like them, and I know their horse's feet need to be done. So people that stay on a really good, consistent cycle, it makes my job a lot easier Um having horses all ready and caught. So when I pull up there to your barn, I'm ready to work. I don't need a half hour to get ready. And I expect you to have your horses ready. And I'm not going to wait a half hour for you to go catch your horses and get them ready. I mean, I don't care if you pick your feet out or not, because I'm going to pick them out any, anyways. I mean, you know, most clients do a great job on picking their feet, but I'm going to repick them and I'm going to wire brush the heck out of them. <laughs> so yeah. it saves the, the wear and tear on my tools. So it doesn't matter to me if you, if you have them already and you have them. A lot of people go, oh, my God, I didn't pick the feet out yet. I'm like, it's okay, I'll do it. See, I'm kind of part of my job. No, <laughs> that's not a requirement, but being ready for me and being out there waiting for me. But I always give people a heads up, too, like, hey, I'll be there in 15 minutes. That's my cue to you. Go get ready and be ready for me, because when I get there and I pull into your driveway, I'm all ready to work. I'm going to get my tools, slap my gloves on, and I'm heading right over to pick a foot up. I don't have any problem in my area about timing. I simply refuse to trim anybody at six weeks. Um, they have to be done between two and five. I mean, I, I would love mm -hmm. to implement that. I... I'm, mm -hmm. you know, I, I need to be more assertive in doing something like that. Cause I definitely have some feet that I feel like I'm trying to rein in every time because you're just chasing after, right. you know, you're not fixed. You're, right. you're just, every trim is a rehab trim. It's not, you know, it's just not. Yes, exactly. So hard. <laughs> yeah. You're chasing things. You're chasing cracks. You're chasing bacteria. You're chasing, you know, you know, flares, right? 
Is that how you feel sometimes? Yeah, definitely. And it's, you know, the owners saying that, oh, the feet look good, but that's, you know, it's, it's hard. It's hard. It totally is. It totally is. You know, how big is your range that you travel? And along those same lines, do you have any scheduling tips for, you know, making that work in terms of your schedule when you're seeing people in a various, like various different areas? Yeah, I like to keep it close to home. Um, I have made one or two exceptions, and they seem to have been working so far, but I try to keep it within one hour drive, and Mm -hmm. I don't charge, I don't charge gas or any kind of fee like that, because I do, everything around here takes an hour to get to anyway, so... I mean, it might as well just not charge. So um, I don't mind going out there. I've got so many that are close that, I mean, it just, to me, I can't keep up with it. I don't, I just don't want to feel like I'm beating people down by, you know, well, I'm going to charge you $10 a piece for your horses. I go to Beaufort, which is an hour and 20 minutes away, which I went today, but there's, you know, 15 or 20 horses down there that I can trim and, I don't charge them extra because there's enough down there for me to make the trip. Right. And so I did them today. And then I went up to Walterboro and did a bunch there in St. George. And so, I mean, I don't charge them either because it's just a big circle and, and, and they're good people. They're good friends and they've got enough horses that it makes it worth my while. I try to, you know, I look at my schedule and say, okay, well, I've got 30 horses in Ridgeville. That's good. I've got, you know, 60 horses in Somerville. That's good. Those are nice, thick areas, and I can continue to grow those areas and just add a couple more days to the schedule. Um, just don't give up. I feel like in the beginning it can be a little bit of a struggle. You get the difficult horses, the horses nobody else wants to work on, and you find yourself driving a lot of miles, <laughs> you know, to, to get those horses and get that experience, but it's worth it, and it will pay off. And then you will be able to, you know, kind of concentrate back around your home base as you get known and you get experience and referrals. It's something that only time helps. You know, I mean, for the first few years, I, I was happy if one stop had two horses. Yeah. You know, I was doing 10 horses, 10 horses a day, and I was at 10 stops. And I was felt like I was just driving all over the place and and I didn't. I wasted so much time, but you have to. I mean, you got to you got to put your time in, right? I mean, <laughs> that's how it goes. I have a whole bunch of days where I'm just, you know, at one barn for 10 or 15 horses and it's like, "Oh, yeah." You know. Something I didn't consider when I started this job was client relations. I'm so glad that everyone touched on this. How to be professional and build a good relationship with your clients. I'm sorry. I know you wanted to say you wanted to talk about like the the personal relations with with the clients. Yes, yes, and yes. That's a huge to me that is like the biggest thing ever ever that you can do for your business. And and one of the things that makes this hard is because one of the biggest things is you don't talk about yourself. And this is what makes this kind of interview hard for me because I don't talk about <laughs> But this myself. is like, you know, teaching and helping others. So it's good. It's true. That's just, this is true. But you don't talk about yourself. You ask them questions. You stay interested and focused in them. Um, you don't interrupt them and you don't um, just, just little things like this, 
you know, and you, and the most important thing is that that horse means the world to that person. And that horse should be treated with kit gloves. Yeah. And it's like, I have always had horses and dogs. And if I watch those people, the veterinarians with my animals, and if I sense the slightest bit of negativity, I'm going to go somewhere else because this little dog and this little horse, they are very important to me. They are my children and I will not have them treated roughly or indifferently um, or without some kind of respect. And I will find something good in that little animal or that little horse that will, and it's got to be truthful. It cannot be fake. It cannot be. If that is the ugliest horse in the world, I will say I love every one of those little spots because the spots are cute. Why not? Yeah. You know, and, and what a sweet personality or look at the white eyelashes. And that is all absolutely the truth. Um, you got to love the animal. You have to. And most of these people are women and guys, I guess, are different, but women are watching you and they are, they're judging you. They want to see if you love their baby. And, um, so as long as it's real, do it. If it's fake, don't. You never be fake. At the beginning of the, if somebody texts me and says, I want you to trim my horses. <laughs> my favorite thing is when they ask you, how much do you charge? And I'm like, well, that shouldn't really be <laughs> the first question you ask. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the I think the first question you ask should be, you know, hi, can you tell me a little bit how you trim horses, you know, right off, I'll say, um, and, and that's the beginning of the relationship as far as I'm concerned. You say, hi, thank you for contacting me. I always thank them for contacting me, even though I know it's going to be a, you know, dead in the water type thing because I do appreciate it. And, and every person gets treated the same way regardless. And I say, well, tell me about your horses. Tell me what you got. Tell me where you are. Um, cause I don't want to talk to them for an hour and find out they're in Greenville, North Carolina or something, right. <laughs> someplace six hours away where I don't go. Um, and if, and, uh, I'll tell them, you know, only go up to five weeks and it depends on the horse. If I have to come back for another horse for four weeks, that's fine too. But uh, I do not go past five. If I have to go past five, I can definitely give you several options, um, of farriers and, um, and generally people will say, oh, yeah, we only do eight weeks. And, and yeah. so I'll tell them, well, here's a couple farriers. If you can't find anybody, let me know. We'll find you somebody. And, um, I, I've, and people are, seem to be real thankful about that. Um, the biggest thing I wish that someone had talked to me about, and it's kind of an odd subject, is if you feel the need to let a client go, whether you feel the horse is unsafe or, you know, it doesn't really matter what your reason is, try to be extremely professional and kind about it because people always take things the wrong way, I feel like, when you're, when you're letting them go. They always read into it something that it necessarily isn't there. And 
while the horse world is really, really big, it's also really small at the same time. Um, so even if someone's horse just tried to boot stomp you and they fed it a carrot, <laughs> just try to, you know, retain your composure and be as professional as you can and polite and kind and leave with a smile on your face. Scheduling, too. I think a lot of clients like to know that in four or five, six weeks they have an appointment set up. Um, I hear a lot of, like, I'll hand them an appointment card. All right, here's our next appointment. They're like, wow, my last health care provider never did that. Or they're like, oh, I had to really chase them down because they were so busy and my regular trim would go from, you know, hey, send me a message at six weeks would turn into eight or ten weeks because we all get busy and, you know, someone falls off the schedule book. It's hard to get them back in sometimes. So getting into good habits of running your business well and rescheduling clients. You know, I think the professionalism, even when you're really busy, and especially if you're when you're trying to start out and you have another full-time job, try to return text messages and phone calls. Even if you don't have time, um, you know, apologize that you don't have time right now and you'll keep them in mind in the future or whatever. Because that's actually one of the biggest complaints I get when I get new clients that are switching over from a little more of a traditional barrier, they, the reason typically is, well, I really liked my guy, but he only wants to come every eight or nine weeks, or, you know, he's hard to get a hold of, or, and I'm like, wow, I wish I had people that didn't want to wait. Like, I feel like I'm pushing sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so that will give you a good reputation as being professional. Calling clients back or messaging them back. Um, I get a lot of clients that uh, have issues with their health care provider was hard to communicate with. Um, so I try to focus on, on those things, too. Um, so, But I also let clients know, too, like when I'm working, I'm not on my phone. So text, email, Facebook message, all those things great. If you call me six times in an hour, chances are I'm not going to see it because I'm working on somebody else's horse. I know it might not seem like part of our job, but if you listen to episode two on nutrition, you know that diet can help immensely with healthy feet. A handful of the people I talked to touched on how they incorporate diet into their everyday work. So actually shifting gears a little bit, my next question uh, is, what do you think is the hardest part of your job? The hardest part of my job is trying to convince people that it's financially sound to introduce trace minerals to a horse diet. A lot of people will skip that part because they think it's a fad Hmm. or they think it's too expensive and they'd rather pay the vet bills for the abscesses and the lameness and the flat foot or the, the, the thin sole or the bad hoof. You know, they think that since they can't really see it now that they have to wait, you know, a few months to really see a complete change that it, it, it surely it's not financially, you know, a, a good thing. But yet they'll pay, you know, four or $500 for a vet bill to come out to a, an emergency visit for, um, for an abscess. And yeah. And it, I think that's the hardest thing about it is trying to get them to, you know, 
understand that trace minerals can really make a big difference. Those those type of things are good things, I think, for people just getting out of school to focus on and learn and be open to the nutrition block as well to make sure that horses are getting what they need in an appropriate diet, too. I'll give anybody an, uh, a lesson on how to properly pick feet, where to treat, where thrush may be on their horse's feet, because um, it's it's you know I, sometimes I find new clients that go oh I never knew that was thrush or I heard the term or you know I knew my horse's feet were smelly but I just didn't know exactly why you know so going through some of those basic husbandry type things and setting them up with these are the products that I recommend and I mean nothing beats good old-fashioned elbow grease pick your horse's feet out regularly that is a big help too so clients that follow my suggestions uh, you may call that like owner compliance, making sure that they're complying with my recommendation. But a lot of that is just makes my job easier. So, of course, I want clients that follow my recommendation because I want to be able to go through and do the best job possible. And it's always better to trim feet that don't have thrush. So, and then the, you know, horses on really good forage based diets too. So, those, those horses make me smile every day. <laughs> Um, I do also want to be mindful because I know it's getting late, but, um, I do have another question. Um, one last question for tonight. Yeah. Um, do you have any advice for someone who's starting out in this business? Um, yeah, forgive yourself. <laughs> um, be very forgiving, um, develop an absolute unerring patience. Um, one thing, if I start feeling like, like, I'm in, like I'm impatient, I close my eyes very slowly, open them back up, I breathe and reset. Um, that is absolutely pertinent. Uh, if you get road rage, you're probably going to have a problem. Um, I don't ever get road rage. I have to be forgiving to people who are not quite so rude. You know, I don't always stay, you know, hippie-like in my brain, (laughs) like, okay, it's all right, you can kick my head off. No, just be patient. Don't rush. Just stay patient and empathetic to the horse. The horse might be scared. What's the horse thinking? What's what's wrong? So that's, that's kind of, you know, don't quit learning ever. I saw your request for uh, tips for beginners and I gave it a lot of thought and some of these pretty new in the field. I, I think I've gone through all the rookie mistakes there is. I mean just the always wear the safety boots, uh, always keep your tools sharp. But what I ended up with that I really want to emphasize is stay curious. Whether you're following um, the, the farrier school you have been going to, or it's, it's one of the barefoot uh, schools, keep curious. Don't be an acolyte, because there is so much knowledge out there in the different fields to, to just pick the raisins out of every cake you can stumble across. That would be my, my main tip for anyone. Uh, because it's very easy once you're fresh out of school you have this feeling that you're 
you have a hold on things and that you have learned a lot and you have but there is still so much more to learn so that would be my my main tip for a beginner thank you again so much this was really cool you're very welcome and have a good rest of your day me too thanks bye bye There's so much more to be said about the business side of things when it comes to hoof care. I wish I could have a bunch more episodes on this topic, and I might put out some more episodes on it. But for now, I hope that this episode has been helpful to think about more ways you can improve how you run your business. I always say that I'm slightly more hoof obsessed than the average person, and chances are, if you're listening to a hoof care podcast, you are too. So we should probably be friends. Feel free to find me on Facebook or email me at thehumblehoof at gmail.com.